Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. PMShow.tv, named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen. Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An Internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Today we have a financial genius, a Wall Street uh, uh, genius, and uh, also uh, uh, a, a wonderful uh, pundit, pundit uh, uh, in terms of uh, helping you make the right decisions uh, based on what's going on in the economy today. We're here with Natalie Pace. Uh, she is the author of You versus Wall Street, uh, and also put your money where your heart is. We're going to be talking about that as well. She's the CEO and founder of uh, Women's Investment Network LLC, and uh, uh, adding a splash of uh, green to Wall Street is, is one of her models, and transforming the lives of uh, on Main Street. Uh, uh, Natalie Pace is the queen uh, of forensic investigative financial journalism. That's a lot to say. <laughs> Wow, thanks. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, I've been following your work for quite some time, for the last couple of years, and uh, you have been right on the money. And uh, now here we are uh, in this crazy, crazy economic time in America. Yes, in the world. And, yeah, in the world, yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, not to sound uh, failure forecasted, you know, a failure forecasting, but uh, we're going to be in this for quite some time. Yeah, we definitely will be in it for quite time. But I think that what we have to remember is that the whole world is being repriced. Uh, it's not mm. just America. So, um, you know, you just have to think that if everybody can give just a little bit, and that includes everybody worldwide, i got to tell you, you know, the Chinese are holding a lot of our Treasury bills, and at, zero, you know, almost 0% interest, you know, it's not that exciting for them either. But mm -hmm. we all realize that we're in it together. In fact, that's what uh, President Hu has had said during his visit here with President Obama is he said, you know, we should all, we are all in this boat together and we should row in the same direction. 
nation. And that's what I think the world leaders really are trying to do. It's just that, of course, getting to that um, austerity measures, which all of us have to do. It's, uh, it's, you know, people at work. It's people that are bondholders. It's people that were expecting a greater return on their investments. All of us have to be willing to reprice ourselves a little bit. Well, talk to me a little bit about uh, that term, repricing ourselves. What does that mean? What price do we have to pay to reprice ourselves? Well, I think that if everyone bites the bullet a little bit, then the price uh, for each of us is much less. And let me give you an example for that. So, um, you know, before the, the credit rating was downgraded by Standard & Poor's in August, there was, um, you know, a lot of bickering going on in Washington. And had our politicians come up with $4 trillion in um, budget savings over the course of 10 years, and now, again, that wouldn't have hurt a lot right now, it would have been a measured plan over 10 years. Had they done that, we would have kept our credit rating. That would have helped everybody in America. Now, people say, oh, well, you know, our uh, interest rates actually went down after the credit rating. That's just because we look better than pigs. We look better than Europe. But that doesn't mean that we look great. And we could have, we're still on credit watch with some of the other agencies, and we've, we only achieved $2 trillion in budget savings. And um, and that's not even completely done yet until the super committee weighs in on it. So the, the point here is that we have to meet our challenges, all of which, and, and it's not simply um, austerity measures, and it's also not simply uh, GDP growth, and it's not simply don't, uh, you know, cutting back on government spending. It's all of the above. We have to invest in the future. We each have to take a little bit of a hit to our um, – you know, our current status, so a lot of people are going to have, uh, you know, no, not a lot of wage increases. Uh, they may have to take a little trim on their health benefits, pension benefits, and if all of us take a little trim, then we can avoid kind of, uh, you know, horrors that are really going on in Italy and Greece and in some of these other countries that, um, you know, are not in a whole lot better shape, like Italy, um, Ireland, and Spain. Uh, it is interesting that you mentioned those other countries and that, uh, you know, America is struggling. We're going through hard times, uh, but uh, it could be worse, and it has been worse, uh, and it is worse in other parts of the world. I think that's something that, that kind of needs to be looked at because we're really hurting right now, and Americans are not used to it. Yeah, and that's a lot of the story, too, is that, and listen, you know, you're not going to tell someone who's giving up benefits or not getting, um, you know, a raise or someone who's out of work that uh, that this is okay. You know, they're not okay with it because they are mm -hmm. having to make sacrifices, but that is unfortunately the reality of the world today, and as you were saying, we are in much better shape than a lot of the world, and, you know, in terms of investments and um, you know, both real estate, stocks, uh, all of this. The world is different, but it is still possible to get a really good return on your investment. You just have to be financially literate. You can't be chasing things. So, you know, that's kind of what happened with real estate uh, a couple
couple of years ago, people who got caught buying high, buying more home than they could afford. It happened with dot-coms back in 2000, mm-hmm. and it could happen with gold today. So, the, you know, everybody's always trying to chase the easy investment, and that's not really the way investments work. So, um, you know, it's really important for people to get financially literate so they're not always buying late, buying high, and then, you know, really getting stuck with it. Well, let's talk about that because one of the questions I have for you is how did we get here? And you just mentioned, uh, uh, you know, two, two big ones, and that, of course, the real estate bu- uh, uh, bubble and the dot-com bubble, which means we've been coming toward this for quite some time. Yes. Well, it's uh, interesting, though, because the dot-com bubble, you know, uh, Internet was a very bad investment in 2000. It was a very great investment in 2004 when Google did their IPO. So, mm-hmm. What's interesting here is that emerging markets usually take two cycles to really get themselves up and going. And I'll mention the the dirty word of today, which is solyndra, but it is not uncommon that in an emerging industry there are some companies that fail. That is the price you pay when you're trying to innovate into a new technology. The Mm -hmm. the upside of investing in new um, emerging markets and new technologies is that when once you perfect it, you can sell it to the rest of the world. So uh, Apple is now almost, well, actually, it's been trading spots uh, back and forth with ExxonMobil for the most valuable company in the world at um, a third of a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, these emerging markets are really key not only to, um, you know, GDP growth. They're key to everything. They are the reason that you know, America is the number one economy in the world because we invest and the things that the rest of the world always wants. Well, that being said, we got here by uh, people, you know, partly uh, with the real estate uh, scenario, uh, you know, health care. It's just a sundry of things that have systematically gone wrong. And to the degree where we are now protesting uh, in the streets, uh, starting with Occupy Wall Street, yes. uh, which is unprecedented. It hasn't happened really before uh, in terms of, I mean, we've had, you know, civil, uh, uh, you know, issues and, 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 and parties and things of sort, but never uh, dealing with the government, being, you know, with the Americans being fed up with the government, with the banks, with all of these issues. Where did this come from? What what is your what is your take on that? I know you're out there on street every day, videoing, talking to people. What's going on with Occupy Wall Street? How do we get here? What do they want? How do we how do we fix the issue? Yeah, it's a very interesting movement. They call themselves the leaderless movement. However, from you know, I was there day one in New York City, and I do definitely see um, people that were organized, leading organizers on day one are still there. They are they are uh, still around, and they still are spokespersons. And the the interesting thing about what their message is, so the, at least I know that I'm talking to the people that have been there since day one, even if mm-hmm. it is a quote-unquote leaderless movement is that they do not want to narrow the, um, the language into one soundbite. Basically what they're saying is corporations are too powerful, the banks are getting bailed out, and we're getting screwed, and that's not right. And th- from that message, you know, we are 99%, we deserve a fair shake, 
the one percent are getting richer. We're we're taking all of the heat here. We're we're the ones giving up everything, and that message I think is a very interesting one. In the same way, like it, when the civil rights movement was going, you know, it wasn't just um, you know okay we're going to only deal with uh, black people or brown people or yellow people or women etc. It was like look everybody deserves equal rights. So I think the big message is that everybody deserves to have the American dream and everybody should be taking some of the uh, brunt of repressing ourselves as I'm calling it and uh, you know there's no really justification look everybody was a little bit to blame for the real estate thing we can't say it was just the banks because there were a lot of people watching late night television how to get rich quick in real estate I know a bunch of people who bought five houses in 2005 2006 just because you know they thought they could flip them in four months for you know some you know who knows a hundred thousand dollars each you know mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. that sort of mentality which was very main street that was not the banks although the banks were participating in it because they were allowing that kind of uh, shenanigans to go on they were offering the loan well, there, there lies the argument of which came first chicken or the egg do you blame the person who wants the American dream uh, which is the taxpayer of Main Street or do you blame the system that allows that to occur I don't think that's the American dream I think the American dream is that you know you don't have a ceiling above your head and you can come and create your life however you define it I think that was pure greed and I think it was pure greed on the part of everybody involved and it wasn't just the bank. So you're blaming both sides in a sense for Okay, that's fascinating. Now, now Ben Stein was on CNN recently and he said basically uh, you, you know, banging on a drum is not going to accomplish anything. Speaking about the, the Occupy Wall Street movement, and, yeah. you know, it's kind of like a, a bunch of hippies out there just banging on drums and making noise. How do you how do you respond to that? Well, the, a lot of the people that are uh, criticizing Occupy Wall Street haven't really been down there. So mm-hmm. they're, uh, and, and they, they haven't interviewed anybody. They haven't listened. You know, they're just really talking like if I were to try to talk about house cleaning, which I'm really poor at. So uh, I think he's just full of it, you know. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I don't think he's visited there. You wouldn't say that if you had gone there and interviewed people. Mm-hmm. There, there is, this is not not a hippie movement at all. The people that are on the ground every single day are the ones that can afford to be there, whether they make them, you know, they make it a priority in their life, or they don't have a job, or they're young and they're students and they just come on the weekends. But the people that support them are varied. I mean, I've seen Wall Street people who work on Wall Street come down after their work to talk to them. Uh, you know, I've seen uh, young women with economics to Degrees that work in business. Uh, most of the people that I know, if you just say, you know, uh, bankster has become a term. Do you know, there's not. There's there's a lot of people that are fed up with what's going on with the banks, even mm-hmm. if they're not sitting down there in the snow with the brave souls uh, in New York City, or you know, getting fired out with rubber bullets with the brave souls in Oakland. And I'm not saying that to say, you know, oh, I think. That that banks should be thrown out, but there has definitely been a heavy emphasis on saving our banks, and and I do think it's appropriate 
that those that are losing their homes, uh, those people that are losing their pensions, losing their jobs, that they should unite and they should have a voice and they should share in the bailout. They should not be taking the brunt of everything. It was definitely not just Main Street that caused the problem with, uh, you know, with all these mortgages that we have, this problem. So here's an issue, Natalie. You went down there and I saw your YouTube videos and I think people can go to NataliePage.com uh, and uh, click on social network, uh, the tab there, and, and, and uh, connect to your YouTube channel and watch uh, the one-on-one interview that you've had with the uh, OWS folk out there. But the issue that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at or what I'm seeing is, is that the media, the mainstream media, really is not taking uh, the Occupy movement seriously because they're not interviewing uh, and getting the same questions and answers that you are getting. They're, they're, they have a completely different perspective on this that is more negative and cynical than solution-oriented. Yeah, it was definitely that way um, on the first days, absolutely. It was just, you know, I have to say it was serendipity, it was synchronicity, because I was at, uh, in New York City for the Clinton Global Initiative, which is a mm -hmm. very high-level meeting, right? Policymakers, CEOs, you know, if you will, the 1%. And I had to stay downtown because it was the opening of the UN and there was really no hotel available in Midtown, which mm -hmm. is where the meetings were. So I got a hotel at Ground Zero, and I had to walk past the Occupy Wall Street movement people every day twice, when the morning and in the evening when I came. So I was able to, and then, of course, the, the, the movement started on the weekend before the Clinton Global Initiative opened. So I, you know, in just the course of going to have breakfast, had to really literally walk through it. So, um, you know, I, and also being someone who cares about the truth, of course, you know, I'm going to be looking around in a different way than someone who's employed by a television station who has 15 minutes to come down there and try to find someone to talk to them. So, I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily like a conspiracy to report wrong, but I, what I do think is that there was a definite policy by NYPD, which was to confuse and barricade and try to keep the movement from organizing, which didn't work. It was also the, the NYPD if you, as media, which I was doing, if you tried to ask them for a quote about it on day one or day two, they would say it's a non-event. As you can see, there's nobody here. Well, there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. It was not a non-event at, at any stretch of the imagination. The barricades on Wall Street went up uh, two hours before the protest was going to start, and then they created a labyrinth in all of downtown. So for me to walk... I walked to breakfast, two blocks. When I was coming back to my hotel after breakfast, two miles because I had to go through this whole labyrinth wow. that the, the NYPD had created to try to keep people from finding one another. Um, I have seen uh, various different signs, some professionally done, so uh, many uh, handmade. But yeah. the general, the general uh, consensus is uh, we need bank reform. Uh, we are tired of paying for the mistakes and policies of government, Congress, what have you. Legitimately, do you think that 
this movement is going to affect some level of change. Yes, I absolutely do. And I think that that's the beauty of peaceful resistance in, um, in all its greatest things, is that their voice finally gets heard. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, getting to the point where women get the right to vote or where, you know, the policy of equal rights is actually placed in force for all, you know, for the entire population. You know, the only way, if your voice has been silenced, the best way for you to gain your voice back is to organize and peacefully resist. And I do not think this movement is going away. I think it's in the hearts of a lot of people who are not there occupying. Uh, my, my blog on Huffington Post went viral because people were so hungry for the truth. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it's, uh, the, and there was, there were other coverage out there that was basically saying the, the, the line that the NYPD was feeding the media, which is that they could, the organizers couldn't find one another, nobody showed up, da da da, you know, which, and nobody really went down there to go check it out for themselves to see if that was even the truth. So yeah, I do think that things will change. Um, I do think that, that it will all be for the better because, uh, there are some things about, you know, the bank policy, and it's, it is very difficult because because the banks are hurting, but the way that they're trying now to fill their coffers is very predatory practices, predatory mm-hmm. lending practices with their credit cards, predatory lending practices with the way that they process uh, payments versus deposits even, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. overdraft fees. So there's a lot, you know, of course they're saying, well, right, you know, listen, we don't, we can't sell mortgages anymore, so we got to make our money some other way, and, and that's all completely understandable, but at the meantime, you can't you can't kill your customer, you know? Absolutely. Now, we feel that uh, the current administration um, is addressing this issue, uh, listening to the uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, prote- uh, protesters or the Occupy movement that's going on throughout the country. Um, what is your feeling on, you know, that the current administration ran on change? Obviously, we haven't seen much, uh, and in some cases, if any, what is your what is your feel on that? Well, my feel on it is that I must tell you, I I'm a journalist, and you know you know because you've been following me that I really love rooting out the truth and mm-hmm. I love looking at things deeply. And I will tell you that I do not do that with politics except when it re- relates completely to economics and business. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of a scorecard for Obama, I don't know because the only thing that I follow him on is his economic policy and his business policy. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot, I, I mean, I've seen times where I was just hopping mad because I thought it was way too socialist, mm-hmm. and other times where I was I was clapping at the top of the rooftops with his strong commitment to clean energy, green technology, and pushing forward the next great emerging market that I see, which is clean energy, because uh, China is going to buy it from us. Either there, One of two things is going to happen with the next great emerging economy, and that is going to be the green economy. Either China is going to beat us to the punch, and they're going to create the best products, and they're going to sell them to the world, or we are going to do it, or we do it together. But there is no doubt that the rest of the world is strongly committed in their public policy as well as their uh, incentive for private uh, enterprise in the green economy. And I applaud 
I applaud Obama in that. Um, I wasn't real thrilled with the way he handled the General Motors Chrysler bankruptcies and, uh, you know, how he treated bondholders and unions, but I understand, and I thought it was very socialist, and, you know, people just have a very short attention span because he was very, very much on the side of the unions during those transactions. Well, uh, that's that's fascinating because I, I think what when you look at uh, any type of um, movement such as the Occupy movement, um, people it, it basically says people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. They are fed up voting either side, whether that's a Republican, Democrat, whatever. They don't believe in any side, and they just want change. And they realize, regardless of who or what is uh, you know running. Uh, the, co- the country uh, change still needs to occur. Uh, is, 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 is that one of the core messages you believe uh, that, that the movement is, is trying to send out? That is one of the core messages that they, uh, was repeated to me by all of the people that have been there since day one. And that mm. is that, uh, number one, is that corporations are too powerful, and number two, they buy the politicians. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. color they are. The, the next thing, too, is that they're very, very, very uh, leery of anybody trying to jump in front of this train. And they have a lot of people who have their various agendas who come down there and try to jump in front of the train and say, oh, Occupy Wall Street represents Obama, or Occupy Wall Street represents this. In fact, I, I would venture to say that there are many people that are in the Tea Party that if they really understood what Occupy was all about, would definitely be in part of that movement, Occupy Wall Street, because it is not at all, it's not an anti-government, and it is not an anti-capitalist movement either, which is another myth that kind of gets propagated that they want to throw out. Um, I witnessed one thing they call a general assembly and there was a, a young uh, woman, is probably a student, and she had stood up and said, I think maybe what we need is something called grassroots capitalism, where there's just more Main Street input into this, so it can't be, mm-hmm. you know, the oligarchy. And, um, or may, and then she said, oh, maybe we should throw out capitalism altogether. And another person quickly chimed in and said, no, capitalism works. We just need to make sure that it's capitalism, not cronyism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this is interesting because a lot of people do think, you know, at least the media has slanted it as such that, you know, it's about down with capitalism, which, you know, in a sense, it just creates, you know, oh, they're, they're absolutely crazy, they're out of their mind, they're wasting your time. Yeah, and that's not it. You, look, you, if you go down there, you're going to see uh, a sign that will be about anarchy, and you're going to see a sign that's going to be anti-capitalist, but you're also going to see, uh, you know, probably 40 times as many signs that are reform-oriented. Um, you know, they're not against banks. They're just saying, look, credit unions are going to do a better job right now because the banks were corrupt. They're run by people that ran us into the ground. Those same people are still running the, the banks. They're giving themselves multi-million dollar salaries, they're screwing people out of their homes, and you know what? They're right. 
And the, you know, you were speaking about the next economic movement or boom that is going to be uh, green uh, and green energy. Uh, and you wrote today about, uh, in the Huffington Post, that oil is showing economic growth. And you, you gave six examples as to why. And, uh, you know, you're talking, you're talking big stuff because, you know, these oil companies, uh, you know, they don't like folk like you. <laughs> talking about green stuff. Green is only, you know, that's, that's, that's a completely anti-oil, uh, scenario. So, what, what is your take on this? Why did you Why did you uh, launch this article this and and help it post? Well, I did it because, you know, there's this big myth out there that if we start uh, drilling a mile beneath the Gulf, uh, we're going to start creating jobs or we, you know, we start building a huge pipeline from Canada for oil. The truth of the matter is that our uh, addiction to oil is more than the supply can sustain. Our oil prices are going to go up. It already costs us $12 billion every month in, um, in uh, you know, we, that we're giving OPEC, that comes directly off our GDP growth. So there's no way that people can say the only reason that we're not getting growth. If we were growing, we could actually add jobs. So, you know, this is a big deal when that's the number two biggest, biggest expense. The first one is our deficit with China because they're producing so much of our goods. The second one is OPEC, and that's $12 billion a month. That is killing our GDP growth. If we were able to get our economy humming again, we could add absolutely add jobs faster. So I think the sooner that we get off of this oil addiction, the better. And uh, all of the other countries around the world, especially those that are doing the best, like China, like Asia, some of these uh, younger countries, it's basically the countries that are doing the poorest are the ones that have less than replacement uh, fertility rates and, um, you know, pretty liberal economies in terms of the social structure, although, you you know, I know people wish we had health care like some of the European countries. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, those those countries, and it's very interesting to me because, you know, China is supposed to be the communist country, but they're the ones that there is absolutely no health care there. It's only, the only kind of health care that you can get is if you pay for it. So it's definitely the most privatized health care on the planet is in China. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you you came onto the scene uh, first with uh, you versus Wall Street. That was when we, uh, you know, millions of people got to know who uh, Natalie Pace uh, was and what your mission is. And uh, you currently have out, put your money where your heart is. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about what does that mean, especially as it relates to investing and the fear base that is going on, uh, uh, you know, throughout not just America but the world in terms of investing. How do you put your money where your heart is? What does it mean? Well, the interesting thing that I see is uh, all day long is that I see people that are protesting cigarettes or protesting oil or protesting war. And uh, when I talk to them about what they're doing in their IRA or their 401K, uh, they've checked off boxes blindly. They've, you know, they don't even know what they own. And I say, you know, if you don't know what you own, you are actually profiting and funding the very things that you are protesting. So it, to me, it's very hypocritical, but it's also, 
it's a way to lose money because um, in addition to us bailing out the banks and all of this, those have been the worst places to be in terms of your investments, the absolute worst. Uh, the bailout, I call the Dow Jones Industrial Average the bailout fund because more than uh, five companies that were part of the Dow Jones Industrial Average were bailed out or bankrupt. We had General Motors, we had AIG, we've had Philip Morris, we've had Citigroup, we've had Bank of America. And there are even more than that that have, have accepted uh, dollars to keep themselves afloat or and or tax subsidies and or tax breaks like General Electric and a lot of these other um, older companies that have big pension issues. So part of the thing about put your money where your heart is is to start aligning your, uh, you know, you could call it a spiritual life or a moral life, the things that you want to see in the world. Like don't protest tobacco and own it in your 401k. Have enough wisdom and knowledge to know how to invest rather in whole foods if you're someone that really believes in health than in tobacco. And guess what? You will make more money at that because the world that's, uh, that we're trying to create, that's where all the best investments are. Um, there's a good a couple good examples of that. Like you wouldn't want to be investing in the typewriter when the computer is invented. You, there will be <laughs> a day when it, it's going to be really obvious that you should have invested in green energy instead of oil. <laughs> now, that transition can take a decade to occur, <laughs> but it is going to occur. That is a fascinating piece because it's it's one of the things that Americans uh, particularly don't have a lot of, and that is patience to see it through. Well, I would say that, um, and this is an important thing too, uh, there's a thing called modern portfolio theory. So the sad thing about Ameri uh, the American nest egg is that in the past, you could check off the boxes blindly and you could buy and hold and it would work. Mm -hmm. Now, that strategy has not worked for 10 years, mm -hmm. for over a decade. Since the dot-com implosion, we've been on a zigzag uh, environment. So just as a, an example, when the dot-com was raging, it was 5,000 in the NASDAQ. It's now more like 2,700. When the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit its high, it was 14,400. We're now in um, you know less than 12,000. Mm -hmm. So if you're buying and holding, you are losing money. So on page 92... Uh, uh, of uh, put your money where your heart is, as well as you versus Wall Street, there is a pie chart. So you have to know what's called modern portfolio theory. Basically, keep a percent equal to your age safe, diversify the rest into 10 funds, and I say avoid the bailouts. And then the next thing, which is critically important, is that you have to rebalance at least once a year. That allows you to capture your profits as well as to buy low in those uh, funds that may have uh, lost a little bit of money. And if you did that, you would be making about 10% annualized over the last 12 years. If you didn't do that, then you are still down. And the, the problem with uh, losing money and trying to crawl back is that it takes longer to come back to even. Natalie, mm. you know, I could absolutely talk to you for not hours, but days. <laughs> You're a geek. <laughs> <laughs> I am, totally, totally. And what I want to do is I just want to make sure that I have some time to bring you back. We've got a lot to talk about. None of this is, is ending. It's actually unfolding. We're even speaking now. Absolutely. 
So, you know, uh, you are truly a forensic, financial forensic journalist. I mean, you get into the meat and the potatoes and get deep down into it and can explain it in a way where people can understand it and take action on it. And I love you for that. Uh, and so how can people get in contact with you and subscribe to your knowledge? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Well, yeah, that's the me big message is that this is easy as a pie chart once you learn it. So I highly encourage, you know, you can buy you versus Wall Street or put your money where your heart is. Whatever books are sold, your favorite e-teller or retailer, I encourage you to do that. Um, Amazon was selling you versus Wall Street for five bucks the other day. So really check it out. You know, it's nice. a small investment to make. You can always follow me at nataliepace.com. Um, and there's a join now link where you can subscribe for 30 days free. And that's for the ongoing updates. And, of course, you know I have a Huffington Post blog as well. So just go to HuffingtonPost.com and put in Natalie Pace, and you'll be able to hit my blog. But, the you know, the most complete coverage will be through the books and through the e-zine. And uh, we're here. You know, I actually do retreats as well. So in three days, right? yeah, in three days, people can come in. And they completely transform their lives. They learn modern portfolio theory, how to rebalance, how to avoid the bailouts. And it truly is a plan that once they get it, all you have to do is annually rebalance, and it works for the rest of your life. So um, the thing I say is the mindset is very important. So this whole idea of the law of attraction is very well and good. But if you don't have the skill set, you are not going to really transform your life. Like you cannot expect that you could think you're going to be a great surgeon, and then you're going to be able to carve people up without hurting them. You really mm, have to learn well how to do it, you know? Well said. Natalie, thank you so much for being with me today. I want to invite you to come back. Uh, we're going to have you on just regular rotation and dispensing <laughs> and dispersing this fantastic knowledge uh, in helping uh, men and women empower their lives uh, through making the right financial decision. And uh, Occupy Wall Street, baby. It's, it's here to stay. <laughs> thank you so much, Philippe. It's been a joy. All right, darling. You take care. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. All righty, bye-bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.